0: Hold on, I'm hitting record. I
1: still think you're, you're still the professional, so whatever works best. I'm gonna, you know, uh,
0: I just want to let you know I already hit record, so that this is like really, so that we just get as much reality of this as possible. So I was being, as we say, and I can say this because I I know where you're from. I can say I was being a wicked, stupid mother <laughs> because you're from Mass, or you're at least in Mass. Is that correct or no?
1: Oh no, absolutely right. Yep. Yeah.
0: I grew up in Mass. I grew up in outside of Worcester.
1: Oh, so, yeah, my, my uh, daughter just, uh, well, quite a few years back now, graduated from Worcester State.
0: Okay, nice. Yeah, nice. you see, cool. you, know, you know, there's, and then Adam Sandler used to make fun of us with Welcome to Worcester. With uh, yeah. yeah. So, so beautiful. So, everyone, and, and is it, is it Brant? Am I pronouncing that correctly?
1: Yeah, my parents, I think they bought the D on uh Wheel
0: of Fortune or something. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> so so every everyone soft intro today. Everyone, uh, welcome back uh, to dissecting popular IT nerds. Talking with Brant Swanson today, director of IT at Compass Medical, outside of East Bridgewater, Mass. Guy, because we got to say that I don't usually bring out my Mass accent, but if I have <laughs> to, you know, I can do it. You know, are you a Red Sox fan? I'm a Red Sox fan. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, if you grew up here, you pretty much have to be. Like, if you really want, if you really want to be like a, a bad child, or you really want to like, you just become a Yankees fan or something. It's like, yeah, um,
1: this. Yeah, we. I know some. But my, <laughs> my daughter's dating <laughs> one now.
0: <laughs> that's perfect. Thanksgiving's going to be interesting this year. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's how serious we take this around here. It's not right, but it's how it is. It's how it is. Um, so so, anyways, uh, been in, in technology for over 25 years. Not much has changed in 25 years as far as technology goes. It's all the same. Always has been the same. Probably won't change again. Yep. And um, so what was it like you know, 25 years ago? What was the first... What was the first iteration of uh, i don't know a computer or something that you what were you doing in technology twenty five years ago were we making were we making sure like the dot matrix printer was feeding paper correctly? what were we doing
1: actually yeah don't laugh yeah that's that's how i started out with uh, dot matrix printers but um, <laughs> I actually when my career started <laughs> believe it or not, there were laser jet printers out at the time and I actually did a little bit of uh software programming um around uh, getting laser printers to uh Things out back in the back in the day, the, the uh, fonts on the printers weren't just assumed; they had to be actually programmed in, or you had to purchase an add-on cartridge to the printer. So
0: that's good. I don't think we ever <laughs> talked about the add-on cartridge for the fonts, like yeah. where you had to pick a font on a printer. Yeah, just think you know, about that; it's mind-blowing. Now we just like click a little drop-down. Like with all these little things that we take that we take for granted now, are um, I don't know. They're just kind of really cool thing back in the day like look I changed the font yeah yep. Yeah. Yeah. No. I just spent 16 hours writing code so it'll actually read that font batcher, so yeah. it'll work the yeah Like, dude, do you see the font on that thing? We just don't, you know, we don't have an appreciation for that type of stuff anymore. Let's go, yeah, let's talk a little bit more. Let's go back in time a little bit more. What else happened back then? So what what were some other cool things that uh, my children will never know the pain and suffering of? Or the joys, or I should probably say the joys of, you know, understanding what it was like to have, uh, I don't know, a CD-ROM drive that writes or double CD-ROM drive or... Any of that type of stuff? Yeah, no, that was,
1: that was uh, the flop. I I, I kind of came in around the time when uh, floppy drives were starting to uh, be popular. So the uh, not not the, uh, the three and a half inch, you know, the five and a quarter <laughs> <laughs> that were actually floppy. <laughs> um, I think I think my first computer I, I didn't have a hard drive or or even a floppy drive. I had to store everything on a uh, cassette tape. So That's amazing. Tape.
0: Yeah. So, so so UMass Dartmouth. Um, 1989 to 1993, bachelor of science, computer science. What'd you study back then? Like what'd they, what'd you study in college back then?
1: Well, freshman year of college was interesting because it was, I, I actually had the good luck, I guess, in high school to take some uh, programming classes in high school. Uh-huh. So the first uh, semester, at least of uh, college was, was more of a, uh, a review of that. So we were using a uh, Pascal. Mm-hmm. It had no business uh, purpose at all. It was more educational at the time. And, and uh, if you ask anyone if they know anything about it now, they, they look at you like you're crazy. So, <laughs> and they might be just looking at me like I'm crazy because I am. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, well,
0: It's a good thing we got you in healthcare of some sort then. Yes.
1: You know, yeah. It's good. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's good. The um, Okay. So we did that in college. And then when you graduated college, um, was there, like, was was IT jobs, like, was that easy to get back then? Or, you know, no. what do you do? What no, happened?
1: I, I was about seven years away from the Y2K boom where they were hiring kids out of college for starting out crazy money just to uh, help mm. them convert their systems to be Y2K compatible. I, I kind of uh, predated that a little bit. So it was, it was a struggle. I worked. I graduated from college, and three weeks after that, my wife and I got married, and Two weeks after that, I was uh, doing a roofing
0: job with my uh, computer yeah. science degree. So, That's cool. That. So, um, if it, I can, I can add to that. I had a creative writing degree and now I'm in technology. Okay. So, and my, and my first, and my first job was I was put, uh, you know, everything that you ever say in life that you'll, you will never do will happen to you. At least it will happen to Phil Howard. If Phil Howard looks down upon anyone for anything, it's going to happen to him. <laughs> like, I'm never going to get married and have kids. Now I'm married to eight kids. Okay. Uh, I'm never going to work in fast food. First job out of college was where I, had a, I had a headset on and I was working for, for Fazoli's, which was fast, casual Italian. And I was asking people if they wanted breadsticks with that through the drive-thru. So that was my first job after college. So, you know, there you go. So um, if you think it's hard to get a job with an actual really smart degree in computer stuff, how about creative writing poetry? You know, I should have been, I don't know. I I don't know. You should know. at least be able to
1: get a date with that though, right?
0: I got married. I was, except I didn't have to wait till after the end of college to get married. So I got married like my senior year. And I think we had a kid maybe soon after that and was living in a low. So here's my like rags to riches story. So yeah, I was, I went to college, which I guess isn't really much rags to riches, but I was living in a low income housing for a couple of years and we were managing that. So we would get rent for free in my entire monthly expenses were 90 bucks. Nice. So put that into perspective nowadays. So, and that wasn't too long ago. Let's see. I that grad- a
1: gallon of gas now?
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I graduate, but yeah, I can't fill my van up for that. There's no way I've got a van. So we fill that up in the most gas stations stop at a hundred dollars. Like the tank just shuts off. So you have to like click, put the gas thing back in the thing, take your credit card back out, use a different yep. card. You have to use a different card because they won't let you use the same card most of the time twice in a row. So you gotta use two cards to fill up the van with gas. So, you know, yeah, not not too far off from that. I don't know what we're talking about, but anyways, dot, <laughs> dot matrix printers, uh, tape drives, floppy disk got popular. So when was, so a roofing job, uh, drive through, when was, what was the first technology job?
1: Um, about seven months after I graduated from UMass, I uh, landed a job with a company called Meditech. So that kind of started me in my technology career as well as kind of the healthcare yep, yep. Uh, sector, I guess. So And I haven't, haven't really left since. I've been uh, in healthcare um, I saw, along, saw so. Beth
0: Israel. My sister worked at Beth Israel for a long time. She's an RN, so okay, a little yeah. different. And I, I always feel bad for the technology department too when I see all the, my my sister. I, have, I come from a family of doctors and stuff. And my sister's got like her iPhone. She's like, I'm trying to do this. And that, and I got to call the <laughs> IT department. So <laughs> <That's laughs> I'm starting to think of like, wow, there is a... There's, and we had a security breach the other day, um, you know, this, that, or anything. else. So let's fast forward. What, so what's kind of the day-to-day job right now? How many end users do you have? What, uh, what are we managing?
1: Yeah. So right, right now we have about around roughly 525 end users. Uh, That includes uh, our providers, physicians, uh, nurse practitioners. Um, we have about seven locations now, um, so it's—I mean—a pretty, pretty decent-sized organization. Um, I, I came from a lifespan prior to this in Rhode Island, and we had fifteen thousand employees. So to, just to add a couple of zeros to everything, um, yeah. yeah. So, so a little easier to get your hands around things
0: here than than it was over there. Okay. So, and what about team of? Do you have a team of other IT guys? Yeah, we have um, right now. We have about
1: twelve people in the department. We kind of we take care of uh, obviously the help desk um, all our our desktops. We run a lot of uh, uh, zero client uh, devices. So um, don't have a whole lot of desktops, mostly laptops and and the zero clients. Um, We do have uh, a a small engineering team that takes care of our network and our telecom and servers Mm -hmm. um, and application support team that supports our, uh, kind of our critical applications, like our our health uh, record, uh, EHR. And, um, some of our other uh, kind of ancillary systems that we have as well, so.
0: Just curious, do you think it's a pretty serious it team when it comes when it comes down to it when it comes down to basically a multi location uh, medical doctors uh, like you said providers nurse practitioners etc. and I, and i grew up in that space so i know what it looks like i know what the politics inside the office looks like i can see people in my mind right now sitting in you know waiting for their appointment to come in people answering the phone uh, billing questions doctors notes files now we've got digital files do you think 15 years ago you would have had that same team there, or would it have been like you know one little outsourced MSP guy coming in to make sure like the equipment works?
1: So I, it's it's funny that's a funny question because we when I, when I came on board we had about 21 people on the on the team um, through the COVID and attrition and and um, got a, a little bit of downsizing we, we kind of reduced the, the footprint. Um, I, I think the way that at least the healthcare. Uh, organization this size is going to start going more toward a. Um, hey, let's let's not focus on the technology. The technology is a, a consumable product now. It's it's just like the electricity and the the, the cable. Um, so you're not you're not thinking about the servers and the network. You're uh, moving that stuff out to the cloud, and you really focus more on data and um, and and really workflows and processes within the organization. Um, with, with the different payer contracts that are, that are coming to light now and, and just some of that stuff, just for a, an organization to survive uh, in, in the healthcare world right now is, is challenging. So um, the better, the, kind of the value to the IT department now is, is really going to be more around the business and tr- really trying to get it get it. So we're providing the data and, and the, the connection, they're keeping the lights on for them, but um, at the same time, what is it that we can do to kind of further the business and support that
0: um, beside the technology, I guess? It's actually quite mind-blowing when you think about the amount of data science and people that we need to know learning Python and various different things nowadays. Yeah. But not only that, we need someone that can actually translate that language into <clears throat> um, these um, somewhat genius or doctors and people that have gone through years of schooling, there's kind of this translation or a bridge or a language gap probably I'm imagining. And you tell me whether you see that or not between uh, the the doctors, the professionals, and then the data scientists and the IT side. Because there's gotta be obviously a lot of data that's very, very useful that an IT guy or data scientist can gather and provide information to doctors. That, can then utilize it, but the doctors might not necessarily know what questions to ask, or you know, does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, well, I, I guess it's the matter of knowing what you don't know, right? And and the it really kind of being that that person or that that group in the middle that that knows what you don't know, um, and can kind of translate what your business needs needs are into the pulling the data out in, in a format that's usable. So, um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, especially with uh, with contract payers, Medicare. This there's, there's a lot of stuff where you need to have everything kind of at the fingertips of the providers, and um, they're going to really be with some of the risk based contract. They're really going to be held to the fire to keep the patients healthier than ever before, um, mm-hmm. and keep them out of emergency rooms and out of the hospital um, in order to kind of be incentivized to to get the higher uh, reimbursement rates that, okay. that all the providers want to get. So. Um, so that, that's, that's really where we kind of want to fo- kind of shift some of the risk of um, having our data center in-house. And, hey, we have, we have an outage in our data center. We, we don't have access to the patient data for, for a couple of days or whatever the, the outage is. Um, how do we shift that risk to the cloud or to a third party? So we're not worried about that necessarily. We're worried about delivering that, that, that data and the solutions to the providers. Um, so yeah, it's I mean it's like if you think about electricity coming into the into your business, you don't have a team that just supports your le- electrical connections or, or the electricity. You know what I mean? So that just is kind of expected to be available at all times. So um, that's that's what we're trying to get closer to that kind of high availability um, with our systems here at the at the Hill Center. So I,
0: I actually uh, wonder what a, what an outage, an internet outage, or a connectivity cloud outage, ability to connect to the cloud. I wonder what the correlation is between that and death. Like, I wonder yeah, but- if there's actually like a correlation because like, you know, for this many hours of outages, this many people's life expectancy goes down. This goes down just because we can't make our decision on uh, someone's life or something like that. There's got to be a correlation of that.
1: Right. And I mean, you have the horror stories of hospital losing power and, and uh, a nurse had to spend four hours manually respirating a, a patient with, yeah. with a respirator uh, manually. So that that's, um, yeah, that, I mean, I'm sure there's some statistics out there that's, that's good. We, fortunately with our business, we, we're mostly outpatients so we're, we don't have any critical care people on, on ventilators or on, on systems like that. But, um, but yeah, there's definitely you don't want to miss things you know we we do monitor patients remotely for with diabetes and we watch their blood sugars remotely or or hypertensive patients that have um, 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 blood pressure cuffs at their house that send send those readings in so we can monitor those patients in oh wow, they, wow. so the, that kind of stuff is 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 important for for some of your patients. I mean some of your sicker patients so
0: so um, are you in charge of like so so you guys hand out what? like wireless devices that they need to hook up to wireless internet at their house. And then you guys monitor it. Yeah.
1: There's, we had, we actually had an in-house team. We've actually outsourced a lot of that um, recently. So, um, but, but the, the data still, again, it comes down to data. They're kind of collecting data. If they have a patient that is starting to show high blood pressure, mm-hmm. the provider is alerted so they can reach out to that, that, um, for that uh, patient and, um really start a treatment hey do we need to change a medication you're on the right dosage you need to come in for a physical examination or we do a telehealth visit um so just kind of keep an eye on those patients so and again the whole the whole idea is obviously to keep them healthy and alive um, mm-hmm. but also to keep them out of the hospital so they're not they're not checking in at an emergency room somewhere to uh to be seen and and mm-hmm. um and kind of go through the the, the hassle of, of all that too so
0: gotcha the when it comes to your your day-to-day um i mean obviously 21 people to 12 people during the pandemic is a fairly significant hit was there anything that you did during that time period to be more efficient or was there anything that you changed that you had to change to automate something to make life easier was there anything like that or was it just no we just weren't as busy yeah.
1: Really, the first thing that came to, comes to mind is one of the initial kind of objectives that w- was put on my team was to um, identify a telemedicine solution because we didn't have uh, a consistent uh, telemedicine solution for all of our patients and providers to, to utilize. So um, within about three weeks, we were able to um, connect with the vendor, uh, implement their, their solution. And have that rolled out to um, our providers. And unfortunately, at the time, um, at the initial onset of the kind of lockdown, uh, Medicare didn't accept uh, telemedicine or didn't reimburse for telemedicine. Um, but shortly after that, they did kind of change that and, and did start to provide reimbursement. So it really, it, it came down to it was really a, a way to bring revenue in while we were locked out and couldn't see patients in house. So that.
0: That was really kind of the, the first thing. That we <laughs> so define <laughs> uh, divine, def, define uh, telemedicine to you in that in that aspect. Is it is it really just ability to have a video conferencing call with a doctor or is there more to it as far as APIs into uh, medical records and being able to schedule and being able to do all these things. So like to you, is there, is there a certain level or is it, Hey, we just needed a video conferencing platform to roll out real quick.
1: Yeah. I mean, it could be video. It could be just voice. I mean, it really, we've, we've done um, patient visits that are just really voice calls. Sometimes patients don't want to have their camera turned on. Um, a lot of times, providers prefer it because obviously they, they get more of a face-to-face interaction with their patient and kind of can read read the mood and then the the, uh, the health of the patient Bill, that way. Bill.
0: The next, uh, you know, there's like a I'm supposed to break up this show. I'm supposed to break up the show because i am told don't just talk for 45 minutes without any um breaking up the show. So we're going to move on to this section that I like to call um what did you do prior to the internet for fun? So, as a child, for example, nowadays, kids might sit inside in front of an Xbox all day long and interact with people. And then they meet up with their group of friends that they've never met up with before in this uh, weird neither world of space. And then I I was in jujitsu, and I had a group of guys that were like, yeah, I finally met my... um, I don't even know, can't even remember what game it was they were playing, but like, hey, we finally got together after like, you know, three years. I'm like, what do you mean you finally got together? Yeah, like we all flew in from different states and like we met face to face and like, like they were like best friends. So (laughs) what did you do in Massachusetts prior to the internet for fun?
1: Oh, that's easy. I, from the time I was probably seven years old until I was probably senior in high school. I think I Played baseball every single day. Any, anytime there was, you could see the grass. Um, I had a, a really good friend and that, that's what we did all day long. Batting practice,
0: fly balls, uh, mm-hmm. pepper, wh- whatever it was, we, we had a batter of all our hands. And yeah, how, we, how far away were you from um, a telephone or a home or anyone knowing where you were? Uh, we were usually in the backyard. Uh, uh, once in a while, we'd jump <laughs> on our bikes right
1: down to a little league field. and would be maybe a 20-minute bike ride away from the house, but um. Yeah. The, yeah. The whole concept of uh, being in constant contact with your parents or whatever was
0: was foreign back then. It's weird. It's weird when I think back, and it wasn't. It's not like it was that long ago. It really wasn't. You just ride out of the house and disappear. Now, right. I think People would freak out.
1: Yeah, and you know it's funny because even for myself, I leave the house and I leave my phone behind. It's like, oh, what am I going to do?
0: I'm not going to get from point A to point B Anxiety Anxiety sets in I remember with my friend Like literally we would Like I can remember in the summertime Riding down with like a blow up raft And like riding down to a river And going down a river And going down to the ocean And getting smashed by waves And like nowadays I would think Like oh man my kids could drown Something could happen Whatever like you know But no we just We did whatever craziness Camping in the woods Yeah
1: I I joke with my wife we, We always say you know When we were kids We got in trouble. They sent us in the
0: house. You get in the house. Our kids, when we get in trouble, get out of the house. Get outside. (laughs) That's so true. Get out. You leave the house. Yeah, go outside. Wow, wow, that's sad. (laughs) That's sad. I remember camping with my friend, like in like second grade like not even like like deep in the woods in like a tent you know like lighting a fire yep. like cooking like with the spaghettios in a can like with a stick over a fire in the middle of the woods you know coyotes you could hear at night you know and just uh, yep. thinking back to that now I'm like wow we were crazy there could have been like an axe murderer or something you know they uh the uh have you ever been at, for everyone out there listening this is a little Massachusetts facts there's a ski mountain called Mount Wachusett you ever been there by any chance
1: yeah, I remember half day when I was in high school, half days we'd uh, in the wintertime we would
0: um, go to school for half a day, have the car all loaded up with skis Yeah, and yeah like Friday or whatever. Yeah. I lived yeah, a mile yeah, I lived a mile and a half down that down the street from there. That's where I grew yeah, up. yeah, we were about an hour away and, and
1: I remember one, one day a friend and I jumped in the car, we had we were determined we weren't even gonna go into the lodge. We we're gonna buy a lift ticket, get up on the, the lifts and ski until they closed down. Yeah. And um yeah. So we stuck sandwiches in our jacket pockets and halfway through the, the night we decided to have have our dinner and uh a sandwich with the frozen sod.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they had night skiing. Because you could ski because yes. yeah. they, they had night skiing, it was, it was uh yeah, man. That that was that's how that concludes this section of what did you do before the <laughs> internet before the internet. Um the how much control do the doctors is there like, a, how do you guys run your kind of like a bureaucracy over there? Is it like a, a bunch of doctors that vote on things? Is it providers? Is it run by healthcare organization, larger hospital? Is it, uh, cause I, my father's a retired, my dad's 87 retired urologist. And back in the day it was the old school way. Like him and a couple partners owned the business, went golfing on Wednesday and Friday and that was it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so Compass Medical is actually, um, owned by, uh, uh, providers, there's a uh, about about forty five or fifty providers that are shareholders mm-hmm. that, that own the company. Um, right. a, a subset of that um, shareholder group is is uh, makes up the board, or and then obviously our CEO and, mm-hmm. and some other our members of the board as well. Um, so yeah, so they, the the doctors definitely have um, uh, some pull because they they are <laughs> they are our bosses because they do own the company. So
0: cool. Um, so it can, and the reason why I bring that up is. Other industries are different. There's like a president, a CEO, there's a board, there's a round table that you sit around. In yours, I'm imagining it's probably hard to get a bunch of ridiculously busy doctors. That if you just, if anyone that's ever worked in medical and you know doctors and you know how they are, it's probably hard to get a bunch of doctors in a room at one time to make a decision on anything. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's fair. And we do, we actually do kind of have that executive leadership as well. That's, that's um, I mean, for the most part is uh, non physicians, Okay. um, non non uh, shareholders. We do have a CEO, we have a COO.
0: So IT is able, are you able to make, I guess, are you able to make fairly significant decisions as far as a digital roadmap is concerned without like, how, how are decisions made there? So, (laughs) <laughs> Just recently, actually, um,
1: I worked with, with the CEO and, and a couple of others on the executive team to um, uh-huh. form some um, a strategic committee and, and also a finance committee. Um, so we, uh, when I first uh, came on board, I've, I've been here for about two and a half years. When I first came on board, we had a, like an IT, steering, uh, IT subcommittee that would um, kind of meet um, – and, and kind of review some of the, the budgetary items and, and approve those to, to be paid and, and move forward. Um, but we really didn't have that governance around our project intake and, and kind of make it our projects to stand on track. Um, and, and, and uh, at the same time, uh, watch the budget as well. So, um, so we kind of formed these, I mean, it's within the last month or so that we've started uh, having these, uh, IS budget meetings, um, budget, fi- uh, finance committee meetings. And, um, yeah, it's been it's worked out pretty well because uh, we're starting to get a better handle on a project roadmap and it kind of well, how we can get these things kind of off the ground and, and have some some uh, executive leadership and, and champions of some of the projects that kind of tend to take a little longer. So, um, so yeah, so it's kind of given some visibility to that. Uh, so it's, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about continuing with that uh, going going forward with the group now. So
0: okay, cool. <laughs> The and the reason why I bring that up is obviously one of the show, you know, common themes of this show it should be obvious by now. I hope I've done a, we've done 150 episodes or so or more. Is the IT of the past was the guys that changed the font on the printer and hid in the server closet and we slid pizzas under the door to them. Uh, Aaron Siemens, he he turned he. He, I have to give him credit for that because it was great. We used to just it used to just be the guys that you know hid in the server room and slid pizzas under the door. It's awesome. Yeah. The to now actually having to have some sort of business leadership because in reality nothing gets done really that great without IT involved. Um, in other words, there's IT touches every aspect of the business, so the. IT geeks of sorts that used to be glorified AV guys now have to learn to speak the language of business. And you just said that you're great. We're excited about that. Is there anything that you have to add to that? Like, was there any, like, at, at what point did you realize, I need to learn this, this business terminology? Or at what point did you realize this? And do you have any advice to other people out there that might not, that that might be something out of their comfort zone?
1: Yeah, no, and I think uh, I think I early on learned really to focus on, hey, be customer-centric, what, speak the language of the, the department you're working with or the, the leaders that you're working with. But one thing that really kind of brought things to light, I, I came on board here at Compass at, in December of 2019, um, took a look. There's, there was definitely a, a lot of uh, work to be done in te- around technology. Our data centers needed a, a complete overhaul. There's just a lot of stuff. So... My first thing was I put, started putting a, a, a five year plan together. Like a, year one, we're going to get to this point. Year two, year three, and, and wanted in the worst way to present that to our senior leadership and our and our, our senior managers. Um, and found that every time I went to a meeting with that group, they were talking about this this virus that they they're uh, they've been dealing with, or they're hearing about over in China, and it's coming this way. And like so, you know that that's that consumed everything for the next twelve months. Um, so that, that plan kind of, although it was kind of happening in the background, I couldn't really get it in front of anyone and really talk about it. And I, and I realized then that maybe, maybe it isn't, I don't need to talk to them. Maybe I just need to sit back and listen to them. What, what are their needs? Like how, how is this work that we're doing going to benefit the organization? Um, so that, that's kind of, we kind of use that as more of a uh, kind of a center of everything we do, I guess, at
0: this point. So, in a very keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid repetition. um, Listen to people. Repeat back. Repeat back what they need, and feed it into that. Basically, if you mold mold your mold your ask around what their current needs are. So, take you could you probably could take the same five year plan and say this is how we're going to beat. That didn't change at all. This is how we're going to beat COVID. <laughs> Instead right. of before, this is how we're going to do a digital transformation. No, 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 no. Hey, by the way, I've got this great plan for uh, COVID. Here it is. We need to move the data centers. We need, <laughs> you know, we need to do all this. Um, obviously joking a little. The what? So curious, out of COVID, what became your biggest, uh, most hated thing or most hated silo? Was there any silos or things that you realized were completely antiquated and worthless and we needed to kick them to the curb?
1: Well, one of the things was really the the absolute fear that people had when we started saying, hey, this we're going to be locked down. We can't have people in the office anymore. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? How are we going to work? And not, and not really having that, like, they've never done this before. But at the same time, we have all the tools in place. We have remote connections. People with personal devices at home, laptops we could hand out to them to take home. They, they, everything was in place. It just had never been kind of tested. Mm. So it was a huge learning curve for, for the entire organization, really. And I, and I think it was kind of, I mean, I, I, see it with education as well. It, it's just, this this fear that like, what are we going to do remote? We, we don't have the, what if I can't connect? What if my zoom meeting doesn't work? What if, what if I can't log into my uh, email from home? Um, what are these devices you, you speak of? Um, so <laughs> so, so and uh, obviously, there were some issues with uh, supply the <laughs> demand around that time too. There was really no devices to be found, but um, but we had all the uh, infrastructure in place for it. It's just never been uh, utilized. So now, roll forward what two years later, um, we're starting to see that it's almost commonplace that people work remote. I, I I couldn't tell you the last time I saw my full staff in the office. Um, they're, they're just <laughs> whether I'm working remote or they're working remote. It's just uh what kind of ships passing in the night sometimes. So um but it, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean it's it's a different way of managing staff because obviously they're in front of you to to, to see what they're doing all day. Um but at the same time when when we kind of were pressed into doing that, um the, the ability to do it was there. So
0: are are, are you guys a Microsoft uh, uh shop? Yes. Okay, so we're people are? Do people communicate on Teams? Do you guys do that and and that type of thing internally?
1: Yeah, we internally my my team uh, is on Teams. We use that almost exclusively for meetings and just instant messaging, even phone calls. And um,
0: that was there prior to COVID.
1: That was there. Yeah, we we did have that in place. Um, no one. It wasn't really deployed fully, but uh, the IT team did have it and was using it. Um. Since then, we have rolled it out to a, a couple of smaller departments, but it uh, hasn't really taken on because it, it is a little – it has, for us anyways, it's been a little buggy with sometimes it works, sometimes the audio is not, doesn't come in, sometimes the phone calls don't work. Oh, oh, yeah, a,
0: from a voice standpoint, yeah, there's some latency issues and things. Right. Yeah. So we kind
1: of standardize we, – we don't do a lot of um, like all-hands-on-deck all type of meetings across the whole organization, but um, there are some pretty big group meetings that we do. Typically, we'll use Zoom at this point for those type of meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but we are uh, actually in the process now of replacing our legacy um, phone system, our, our phone and call center system. And the, the new system that we're, we're implementing will give us the ability to have kind of Zoom like or Teams meeting calls and, and uh, voice and
0: video calls. Where are you so. going, Ring Central? Close, uh, dial pad. Okay, cool. Yeah. Know them well. Work with Dialpad closely, Ring Central, all of them, eight by eight, go down yep. the list, all the usual suspects. Um, so, super good. And they're in uh, like a web RTC uh, platform. So, that should work pretty easily everywhere. Yep. Excellent. Um, what, as being in the medical field, IT, what is your single biggest frustration, problem, or concern? Would you say? Um,
1: I think uh, maybe the biggest concern is really around security, and, and we're, we're obviously healthcare is being targeted pretty heavily with mm-hmm. uh, cyber attacks and, and whatnot. We, we have employed a, a third party to kind of help us sleep at night a little bit, so we have people watching the network twenty-four-seven. Where myself and one or two other people get beyond viewing logs and watching for uh, for breaches. So um, so that's helped out quite a bit. Um, I think there's, for us is a little bit of a change in landscape with with pairs, and it does make uh, kind of planning and forecasting your technology uh-huh. a little more difficult uh, because who knows what the budget's going to look like from year to year. And yeah, uh, so we're we're uh, kind of in that phase. I mean, the focus has for me has been obviously bring the technology up to speed, but at the same time, don't put us in a bankruptcy for, from doing it. So, um, so we have been able to make some pretty significant savings. By, we've actually been able to upgrade a lot of stuff, newer technology, modern interfaces, whatever, um, and save a ton of uh, money over what some of the legacy stuff was costing us to run. So um, so sometimes it seems like it, it's almost impossible to do, but it, it has actually worked out pretty well for us. Um, so most of the stuff that we've actually upgraded has come in cheaper than what we were paying. Previously, for
0: it so, excellent. Uh, as far as the security piece, is that like outsourced MSP work, or do you have any great vendors that you would we, that you're Like,
1: yeah, if I yeah, if we could plug, uh, we work with Arctic Wolf, Arctic Wolf. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, and those guys, those guys are awesome. Really, they we end up they end up giving you a couple of uh, concierge um, staff members from that team, so they're they're kind of your liaison with their their seam uh, and 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 sock. So it's been it's been a we've come we've came up with them in January
0: and mm-hmm. uh um, it's it's really been it's great. It's nice. I mean <laughs> they, they were we're gonna plug them for um uh for five thousand dollars to be paid <laughs> to dissecting power for the 18 Hertz. <laughs> no, no. Uh no, it's great. You, Arctic, you know, Wolf, Arctic Wolf, Arctic Wolf, Dial pad. Um, let's see, who's your guy over at Dialpad? I'm just curious. Wonder if it's um, the same guy. Well, anyways, don't tell them. We're gonna. I'm gonna call them up to him. Like, hey, we're you're plugging. We're plugging YouTube for five thousand dollars. So there we go. There you we go. Just, we just made dissecting popular IT nerds some money. <laughs> you got to figure out some way. Uh, do you have a the what would you say is the uh, give me a term? Give me a geek fact. We'll we'll end with this geek fact of the show. Uh, give me some sort of terminology that the typical end user doesn't know but they can say to their IT guy to create rapport and look really cool oh man just think family you say something at the family and they're like I have no clue what that means dad like for example my wife we had this um I said if you can come up with what the capital letters NAP stands for I'm going to give you $5,000 towards the new kitchen I said, you have three tries. Like, she actually got network access point, and I was quite upset that she figured it out on the third try. But anyways, she got it. Well,
1: I think think the one that, well, I guess it could be a couple of things, but one that sticks out to me is when you have have somebody that comes in and says, my my NIC card is bad. So what does NIC stand for? Well, it's the network interface card. I said, so why you have to put the word
0: card at the end of it? <laughs> yeah, working with those card cards. Yeah, yeah, it's like chai tea. It's just the nick, right? It's it's chai right. tea. You know, chai yeah. is that's what tea. That's the word for tea. Chai tea. <laughs> my nick, yo, uh, guy, my nick card ain't working. Yeah. <laughs> Wicked busted. <laughs> Brad, my nick card ain't working. Can you get me one? It's just the nick. Okay, yeah, it's good we will end with that. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure. Do you have any uh, last piece of words of, of, sage advice that you would like to give to any uh, IT directors out there listening to the show? Sage advice. Well, that, that's hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Go into roofing first. <laughs> yeah. Try roofing first. You, you, you'll, you'll
1: appreciate the dust, job. <laughs> uh,
0: anything, anything really? I mean, honestly, did you ever have any mentors or anything, anything, anyone ever say anything to you that really stuck?
1: I mean, believe it or not, I, I always go back to one of the mentors was my foreman doing roofing. Uh-huh. let me tell you, when you're climbing up ten stories, you're not going to go up empty handed. You're not coming down at the end because you don't want to make two trips. Mm. For sure. So that was one one thing I learned from that, that job, and, and that was the the, the foreman was really a, a system guy. So everything was a system. You you have your job, you do your job. He's going to do his job, and he's going to do his, his job. Don't don't do any of their jobs. Mm. they are not
0: going to do ours. And no one's going to fall off the roof. So Systems. So true. If you've ever seen someone do a roof the wrong way. And I've done a few roofs. And I just, my son-in-law just did his roof too. If you've ever seen a really good roofer, boom, that thing is done in one day. Yeah. It comes in there like a machine. Everyone takes lunch, I swear. At the same time, it's like they come in, they show up, the dumpsters there, boom, this, boom, 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 Running the magnets over the ground at the end so I don't pop my tire, all that stuff. So Brent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great. Been, been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for being on dissecting popularity nerds. <laughs>